0: Stop bullying and shouting
1: at the lower
2: orders. Never! There's only one way to win a campaign. Shout, shout, and shout again!
1: This is Shot and Shield. Shield
3: shield. Listening in, Owen Sound, Ontario. Scotch Plains, New Jersey, and Colville, England. This is the Shot and Shield Supercast, a podcast dedicated to 19th century wargaming and history, a program meant to be heard while you are painting your miniatures and building your terrain. I am your host, the Grand Duke Scott, from the duchy of florida and in this episode i will review the 1953 movie classic you like the way i say that classic because it is king of the Khyber rifles with the awesome tyrone power i also have a product review for you i'm looking at the new perry's ottoman army line And rounding out the program for you today, or at least this episode, The Screen Director's Playhouse presents The Fighting O'Flyns, Starring Douglas Fairbanks Jr. Uh, Before I get to the emails, I just want to congratulate um, some friends of the podcast. Uh, Dr. Chris Bryce, Singh Man, had their uh, seminar regarding the Anglo-Sikh War. I understand it was a fantastic event, and everybody there was amazingly enthused. And so I just want to congratulate uh, them on a, a fantastic event. Also, friends of the podcast, Ian and Colin. These two gentlemen are amazing. I want you right now to go to the Shot and Shield Wargaming Group podcast, uh, you know, Facebook page, right? And take a look at their award-winning presentation at Partisan this year. Again, just if you are not inspired by the, uh, the, what they put together for these shows, you are, I, like I think I said this on the, uh, on the post, you are dead. You have no blood going through your veins. I, I I saw their presentation. I looked at it and I was like, "Oh my god!" And I immediately put the phone down and I went and started painting. <laughs> so it uh, it really inspired work. And please go and uh, take a look at it. And I congratulate them for that as well. So it just good good stuff. But right now, let's go ahead and hit those emails.
2: Germany calling. London calling. Moscow calling. Washington D.C. calling. Peking calling
3: sydney calling message for you son it's time to answer some emails from all around the world you too can email me at uh, shotandshield at gmail.com if you have a question or retort a critique or you want to make a suggestion please email me and i will either answer you directly or share it on the show uh first email here comes from josh who says he listens on spotify Let's see, it reads, uh, Scott, I saw your post about how Iron Maiden introduced you to the Crimean War. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> so, <laughs> so here's the deal, okay? I posted this in the, uh, in the Shot and Shield podcast wargaming group on Facebook, right? So it was a short video of Bruce Dickinson, the lead singer of Iron Maiden, on stage with the band's mascot, Eddie. He's just like this like skull creature, if you don't know. They were both dressed up like British soldiers from 1879. They were doing some swordplay, play, very theatrical, it's the way the band is. And they are my favorite band. And they have a song called The Trooper from their album, Peace of Mind. Again, fantastic album. And it's about the Crimean War. When I first heard it, it made me go and research Crimea. I was first... Can I tell you, I, I, I have been exposed, firstly, to a lot of art and history, thanks to Iron Maiden. The book Dune, never heard about it until... Iron Maiden. And then I went and got the book and was like, whoa, now it's my favorite book. Uh, the poetry of Samuel Taylor Coleridge. The TV show The Prisoner with Patrick McGowan. The life of Alexander the Great. <laughs> Again, you know, I was young. And uh, anyway, yeah, that's true. The Crimean War, I didn't know about it until I heard The Trooper from Iron Maiden. I would suggest you go listen to it if you like the metal. If you know what I'm talking about, then you're you're like, up the irons, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, you will be, because they're awesome. So that's what I got. There, that's that's my answer. <laughs> that's The uh, second email here comes from Paul, listening to Shot and Shield on Google Podcasts in Michigan. And Paul writes, Scott, my brother and I listen to the program and are entertained by the various segments in your show. I have two questions for you. How do you decide who to have for your guests and why? And my second question is... Do you consider wargaming an art form? This is actually, this will actually settle a bet between us. And I I assume Paul means between his brother and himself. And he continues, uh, thank you. And I hope to hear my email on the air. Cheers, Paul. Okay, so uh, let's see. uh, First uh, question How do I decide who to have uh, guests and why? the the whole idea of the program is 19th century history and wargaming. So if it is involved in that, and I can find somebody to come on and talk about something in that realm, that's the why. Now, how do I decide who? Right now, it's whoever answers the phone, whoever answers the email, whoever answers the carrier pigeon. So whoever says, yeah, I'll be on, <laughs> that's That's how I decide. So it's not like I have a a, a plethora of people uh, waiting to come on. I have a plethora of emails out there and some people have responded saying, yeah, that sounds cool. So that's how I decide. Uh, Okay, the second question, this is going to be a little more complicated because the second question is, do you consider wargaming an art form? Oh boy. Okay. Uh, Yes, I do. Okay. Yes, absolutely. I do consider Wargaming an art form. I consider it a vehicle for art. Look, I think this is what makes it complicated because I don't consider myself an artist because I don't think that's up to me to decide. Right now, if you're painting your miniature, I would consider you an artist because you're painting, Cause that's a medium at the same time. You're painting a miniature, which was sculpted by somebody else. They're an artist. So they're an artist that sculpted you're an artist for painting. If it's terrain, if you purchase the item already painted, then I consider whoever did it, an artist, but not someone who purchased it. Obviously that sounds, that sounds right. Correct. But can you be an artist on an artist? You see what I'm saying? So if somebody builds a piece of terrain and you take it and paint it, are you considered an artist even though somebody else has sculpted it or built it? And I would say yes, because even though that person has sculpted it, you're painting on it. You're you're de- you're developing what colors to use. You're trying to figure out how to make it work together. In some cases, you're changing the color scheme altogether from what was intended. So in a way, and I hope this doesn't sound insulting to those who sculpt, because I don't mean it to be this way, because I believe you're an artist also. But if you're a painter, if you paint on canvas... And you go to the store and you pick up a framed piece of canvas and you paint on it, you're an artist. So when you are picking up that miniature or that piece of terrain that needs painting, I consider you an artist. So yes, I consider, I consider wargaming the vehicle for artwork and I consider what gets put on the wargaming table as art. Does that answer your question? I hope that answers your question. It's kind of convoluted. And actually I'm going to take this one question. I'm going to put it on the, uh, shot and shield podcast, wargaming group on Facebook. That way, uh, you can have your say in this as well, okay? I'll put it on Twitter also, at Shot and Shield, and that way you can chime in on on how, how you feel about this. Because that's a, it's an interesting question. That's an interesting question because I think it uh, it lends itself to a lot of different uh, opinions. I, I will say this, Paul, I don't think you can win a bet or lose a bet over this question because it's so subjective that uh, I don't think that uh, you could win a bet off that. So here's what I would do. I would take the money that you guys put in. I would split it and go get a beer. So there you go. Uh, This next email is from Jamie. And she didn't put where she was listening to or what she was listening on. So that's cool. No problem. Not a big deal. Uh, She writes, uh, I'm new to gaming and just uh, listening through your back episodes. So if you have answered this, I apologize. I live in a rural area and often have no opponents and being one of the only females that play here. It's not always inclusive. Are there any good rule sets that play well solo? Love the show. Keep up the good topics. Jamie uh jamie uh first off thank you for the compliment and uh the fact that uh not everybody is very inclusive uh they should be ashamed of themselves because wargaming should be uh something that we all enjoy regardless of uh, gender race all that other great stuff so i'll tell you that right now and anybody's listening to that if you're not inclusive you suck i'm putting it out there if i lose you as a listener i don't care that's okay we are an inclusive bunch to grow this hobby we cannot afford to have uh, have this tunnel vision of who we think would be good at this hobby. You hear me? Good. Okay. Off the soapbox. Now down to uh, brass tacks here. I understand how tough it is to war game on your own. It's something I normally do because uh, those closest to me who game are at least an hour away, and it's, it doesn't really provide the best you know time time management thing. Sometimes the games go long, especially you know you're with friends and you're just sitting around. Playing the game, half the time you're not playing, you're just chewing the fat. As for the appropriate rule set for solo gaming, I'm kind of the wrong guy to ask. I really am. Now, I'm going to be putting this uh, this post for sure on the Shot and Shield Podcast Wargaming Group on the Facebook for some help from the uh, Shot and Shield Gaming Gaggle, because when I play, I play both sides in a solo war game. I do. I play both sides because in my mind, I can separate myself and say, I'm going to be doing X, Y, and Z in the tactic here, and I'm going to be doing X, Y, and Z in a tactic here. Now, this is where like, I objectively can think that, but I know because I'm realistic that I am probably unconsciously forming a tactic on a tactic that I've already formed. Now overall, when I play both sides of a solo game, you know, you might you might ask, you know, how do you really do this? Well I I I have to sit down with the game. I've designed the game. I'm setting the parameters of victory. I set the parameters of victory for both sides. And I just play each side with the mindset of that victory. Now, obviously, I'm not going to out-tactic myself, and I can still consider what the strategy each side would take regardless of the tactic from the other side. But what happens when you play solo games is it lacks the element of surprise, That, that, that surprise that comes in a multiplayer game. How many games have you played? I'm talking to the vast assemblage out there in uh, podcast land. How many games have you played where you put in a certain tactic and then something you didn't consider comes back and bites you? Now, it doesn't make you mad, but if, you, if you've if you ever been to a convention and you hear, oh, oh, right, you've heard it. And it's because somebody did something that was – a Complete surprise. That sends the endorphins popping in the old melon, and that's one of the aspects of the game that's enjoyable. I can can recollect a game that I was a part of where I was playing a union against Confederates, right? My buddy Steve Barona and I were playing. I was the union. He was the Confederates, and he had himself up just a line. And it was on a top of a hill. I had three times the number of figures he did. And I thought, you know, I'm just going up. I'm going to charge. I'm just charging them. I didn't even think about tactics. I said, you know what? I got three times the troops. I'm going after them. I'm going to knock them off this hill. Oh, no. No, it didn't work like that. Because as soon as I got halfway up the hill, here comes another line to my flank. And now I'm caught in this like square crossfire and just wiped out my whole deal just wiped them all out, just wiped out every single one. And I'm like, oh, and the element of surprise set the endorphins going, and I loved it, even though I got my tail kicked in. However, I still think there is great enjoyment to be had with whatever rule set you decide to use when you run a solo game with you know obviously with yourself and i think it's important that you do that i really do because it it helps you understand the rules and develop the tactics and strategy and put them in your mental toolbox so that when you have a chance to start multiplayer games then you feel more confident because i think that's important as well because if you go into if you go into a game as a novice sometimes you sit there and are you're a little hesitant about what you want to do everybody else knows the rules Maybe I'm going to be a little more timid. I'm not going to participate the way I would do if I knew the rules hand over fist and so and so. I can tell you also that I know that there are also Zoom games where you can play with others via the Zoom or other meeting apps. Uh, I've never tried those myself, but I have seen other podcasters and war gamers run these types of games really successfully. Uh, it's very interesting. I haven't like I haven't done it. I thought about doing it. But if you haven't heard, time is my nemesis. I, th- I cannot manage my time worth anything with the podcast network, with the regular work, with painting, and the other obligations that I have outside of uh, the podcast here. So yeah, so, so I actually thought about hosting one of these myself, because I thought it would be interesting. But like I said, time. So Jamie, that's a great question. And uh, please check in with the Shot and Shield Podcast Wargaming Group on Facebook for that post. So thank you very much, Jamie. Let's see. Here's an email from Derek in New York. And Derek writes, I'm not going to call you Duke because you're not. I listened to your show once and I'm not a fan. I am convinced you like to war game, but your show has nothing to do with war gaming. It's about entertainment and not about war gaming. If it were about war gaming... (laughs) If it were about wargaming, then you'd have guests to talk about the rules and you talk about wargaming. Not history, not movies, and definitely not silly radio programs. I won't know if you have the balls to actually read this email on your show because I won't be listening again.
1: Rappers!
3: Well, okay. Uh, well, as I've stated before, this podcast may not be for everyone and its purpose is to have something to listen to While you paint, that might be informative and yes, to entertain. There are other podcasts out there, uh, some really good ones, uh, two that spring to mind right away. uh, The Eccentric Man and uh, Yorkshire Gamer, great stuff. And I am not so egocentric to think that uh, those of you who listen to this program don't listen to others. Uh, Derek, I respect your perspective and I'm sorry you won't listen further because it would have been nice for you to know that, yes, I do have the balls. Last email here is from Derek. (laughs) <laughs> Last email is from, uh see, <laughs> sorry, it's so funny. This is it's funny. It's like, I don't, look, send me an email. You do to send me an email and you want to criticize the show. You want to criticize me? That's fine. I got no problem with that. My ego is certainly intact. I ain't worried about it. I don't do this show for the praise or for the applause. I just do it because I, I really love the game and uh, I love history and I love all the things that we do. So it's a multifaceted uh, hobby. So I, I, don't know what to, I don't know what else to say. Anyway, uh, it's always amusing when I get critiques. <laughs> always. Anyhow, uh, last email here is from General Archibald H. Listening in Virginia. General Archibald H. writes, Duke Scott. Thank you for the podcast. I like the different segments and that you don't drone on and on about one topic. From listening, I know that you're really into Russians and Central Asia, but I'm glad that you have not shoved it down our throats as the only thing you talk about. With that said, I actually have a question about your gaming. If I heard you correctly, you play Russians against Turkmenistans and Kevins and others in Central Asia. How do you create units? and what figures do you use i have seen very few if any figures for that time frame thank you for the show ten hut <laughs> the general archibald let's what's what's the the general archibald h is signing off <laughs> all right uh, right it's actually quite easy first off general let me address you on how i create central asian units i approach them like like tribes, I develop a tribe or a unit where all the figures have some sort of distinct historical trait, such as they're all wearing the same sort of hat or a certain design or pattern in their in their in their outfit, or a certain color that they all use. For instance, I took a bunch of uh, Foundry Zanzibar slave traders, and I'm in the process of giving them all red shirts and 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 light blue and yellow striped skirts, and they're they're going to represent the Turk. Menestani, uh forces found in the artwork of the Russian Valeshi. I, I destroy this artist's name. I cannot ever get it correctly. So if you're go, if you're looking at the at your phone, or you're looking at your radio, or you're looking at whatever you're listening to the program on, and you're looking at it and you're saying Scott, his name is, and and you're pronouncing it correctly. God bless you. I can't do it. So just stop right there. <laughs> anyway, uh, the artwork of Russian Valeshi. I'm like I said. Uh, mid-19th century, I try to base everything on his artwork. Or I'll have a bunch of Sarbaz, uh, which are uh, like a standard militia-type unit. They wear a lawn brown red coat. Also, they have different types of hats. You got the uh, Arabachi, which is sort of like a bedazzled beanie. A uh, Kalpak, which is sort of like this paper airplane hat. Karakul, which is uh, a very pointy yarmulke. Or the Papapka, which I've, I've talked about in the past, It's the big fur hat. So I'll take uh, some green stuff or milliput or liquid weld and 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 put them on the figures to make, make hats or add little things to them where they all have the sort of... Every tribe or every unit will have kind of the similar... Something similar about them. So I'll do it like that or I'll do it with the painting. It just depends on what I'm trying to create. But in the end, each of the individual units will have something collectively similar. But then each different unit will have something similar about other units. It's kind of complicated, but simple at the same time. I really have to plan it out so I can have different units on the table, but still they look like they really belong together in the larger battle. I'll give you a for instance, okay? So right now, the what's on my table right now is I'm working on a unit known as the Russian Highlanders, uh, the 84th Shervan Infantry Regiment that fought in the Caucasus against Persia and the Ottomans. Okay, that's what's on my table right now. There are some great 132nd scale miniatures of this figure from crew models, KRU models, but there are absolutely zero 28 millimeter representations. Zero. So, what I did is I took Foundry Horse and Musket Polish that I found. I bought a couple of units of those, I did a little carving on them. And then some Milliput to create the Papapka big fur hat, which is a, it's kind of an off-white fur hat that they have. And they have a brown uniform. And I'm, I'm painting them with this various brown shades. Now, when this unit is completed it's going to fit in perfectly with my russo-persian war russians and they won't look out of place and they'll look just like they're they're right supposed to be right there fighting alongside the russians it's just it's just how you make it work you want to make it work by using some of the same browns some of the same whites Uh, You can do it by making sure that, you know, taking a leader, for instance, you take a leader from one unit and you put them with the other unit, you can actually make that look like they belong together. So it's just a little, little things. But in the end, in the big picture, they all look like they belong. Is that I hope that helps you. It may sound pretty convoluted, but that's that's the best answer I got. I just sit down and I plan it out, and I decide what I'm gonna do, how I'm gonna do it, what colors I'm gonna use, what kind of uh, adjustment sculpting I have to do, or what I have to add with the, like green stuff to make it all work together. So, like I said, that's the best. It's the best answer I got. It's a little convoluted. Sorry about that. So that's it for uh, today's emails and communications. Remember, you too can email me at shotandshield at gmail.com. If you have a question or a retort, a critique, you want to see if I have any nuts, come on, let's do this. And maybe you want to make a suggestion. But please, also, one other thing, uh, tell me where you're listening from, like what what state or or province or country you're listening from. And um, and also, if you're listening on Spotify or Apple or Google or any of those other ones that uh, you've heard the program on. Hey,
1: what the blazes is this? A podcast. That- Dedicated to colonial and 19th century war gaming. All right, Marines, ice punch. This is Shot and Shield.
3: From the land of the audio to the world of the visual, the Shot and Shield podcast is on YouTube. I use YouTube for supplementary information, such as watch-along videos, documentaries of interest, movies that I find that uh, best represent colonial or 19th century inspirations or gaming, and eventually video from interviews that I've uh, already done and that you've heard on the podcast. Just search out, in parentheses, shot and shield. You gotta put the parentheses in there, parentheses, shot and shield, and parentheses, and you'll find it on the YouTube. There's also a link on the podcast info page. So check it out and subscribe to Shot and Shield on YouTube.
1: This is Shot and Shield. Good luck against those elephants.
3: When you, my, my wife has listened to me record this and she's like laughing at me because I've like recorded this like 90 times. <laughs> okay, look, hey, you guys, when you have a chance, please join the Shot and Shield podcast Wargaming group on Facebook. As I was uh, saying in the 5,000 different takes of uh, this particular segment, I'm and now very, now it's going to be another one. And now it's gonna be another one. I'm very lucky to have a ton of you guys, you folks on here, and girls, folks. Really? Okay, (laughs) this is shot now. The whole thing's shot. All right, now this is like take 13. (laughs) All right, here we go. When, When you have a chance... Please join the Shot and Shield Podcast Wargaming Group on Facebook. As I've uh, said for 13 times here, I'm very lucky to have a ton of you folks on here who appreciate uh, 19th century wargaming uh, like uh, I do. Uh, the group is good for sharing your work uh, with like minded people, asking questions where you need expert answers because we got a lot of experts on. And really, we really do. Well, I, I really do. It's my podcast. Uh, look, we got a lot of great. I've totally messed this up. I even want to, look, go to the Shot and Shield podcast Wargaming group on Facebook, join it, 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 be like the cool kids. It's a cool kids club. We're all cool kids. If you haven't joined yet, when you join, you'll up the cool standard. So please. <laughs> all right. I want to get serious here, please. All right. All right. So I wanted to do this segment differently from uh, the email responses earlier in the program because I received uh, this email and I wanted to read it uh, and then get into the subject matter. This email is from Yon in Tokyo, Japan. And Yon writes, Scott, I would like to say that your program is a great thing. I have learned so much about history that I wasn't aware of from you and your guests. I have been a history buff for most of my life, and as I am only 22 years old, that's not been a long time. I happened upon your show by accident when I was searching for new history podcasts to listen to. I was surprised that your show was not a clinical look at history, but from the point of view as a lover of history. Thank you for that. I do not war game, but I have decided to take the leap and try it out. Because one of my favorite movies is Breaker Morant. Can you help me put together what I need to start wargaming a boar war game? Thank you, Jan. P.S. I listen on the Ghana app. Jan, thank you. uh, Thank you very much for the kind words. And yes, I'm going to help you right now put together a Boer War game. Now, since you said you love uh, the movie Breaker Morant, which is an excellent movie. It's a sad movie, but it's an excellent movie. I'll give you some guidance on putting together a force for each side for the second Boer War. Now, I'd like to point out, and I hope some of you will appreciate this, If you're going to start any sort of colonial war game, the second Boer War is a pretty good place to start. I mean, it really is a quite simple game to put together because the figures aren't that expensive. You don't need a lot of them on both sides. The colors, if you're going to paint, it's just a few colors. The terrain's easy and you do some type of skirmish level. But here's what I want to do. I want to do this in steps because, Jan, you've never wargamed before. And here's a few things you need to do. Okay, so this is like I said, we're going to do this in steps. First step, you need a set of rules. Now, for beginners, I'm going to suggest the men who would be kings because it's really, really basic and it's not too pricey so that if you decide you don't like wargaming after this, yeah, and you won't be out a lot of money. Okay. Second step, this is going to sound really weird to everybody else. But Jan, I want you to do this. I want you to take some heavy card stock. Some heavy cardboard, okay? And cut 40, 40, 20 millimeter by 20 millimeter squares, okay? You're going to draw a helmet on 12 of them. You're going to draw a cowboy hat on 12 more. You're going to draw a stick horse on 12 of them. Six of them are going to get a small helmet in the corner. Six, The other six are going to get a small cowboy hat in the corner. You're going to take two of the cardboard uh, cutouts and put a cannon on each one of them. Again, one is gonna get a helmet, the other one's gonna get a cowboy hat. And the last two, I want you to write the letter L on each. One with a cowboy hat, one with a helmet. The cardboard square with the helmet represents the British. The cardboard square with the cowboy hat represents the boar. A helmet or a cowboy hat is infantry, a horse is cavalry, the cannon, well, it's a, it's a cannon. And the L stands for leader, okay? I, I know it may sound really, really weird, but that's what I want you to do because you've never wore a game before. You don't want to spend a load of money on something that you don't know if you're going to like. The third step, play the game. You've never wore a game before. You have your cardboard pieces. You have the men of would be kings and you play it. Get to know the rules. See how to, to, to do the game using the cutout pieces. Then if you decide you really, really like it and you're ready to invest, now... Let's get into gaming the second Boer War. Firstly, let's talk rules for the second Boer War, okay? I think you're gonna be looking at skirmish rules all the way. Skirmish rules all the way. I mentioned starting out with the men who would be kings, but there are others. My personal choice is blood and steel. And if you decide to do, uh, you pick up blood and steel, I would use the Anglo Zulu section for the British. And I would use the American Civil War Confederates for the Boer. I, I know, but that's what I suggest if you're going to get, uh, if you're going to pick up blood and steel. Until, until there's an addendum. Now let's talk about figures. There are a load of companies that make miniatures for the Boer War in all kinds of different scales. Uh, metal, plastics, the whole deal. So it's going to be pretty easy for you to find miniatures to be able to do this. If you're looking for, to, for just cost, then I would pick up uh, Hat, the company Hat. They they have boar, and they have uh, the British. They're not too expensive, and they're really good-looking figures for 170-second scale. And that's all in plastic. And some of you are going to find this pretty entertaining, but I find that soft plastic is easier to paint than hard plastic. I don't know why just, it just, that's just the way it is. However, I'm going to stay with my point of view, which is 28 millimeter. For the British, wow, there's a ton out there. The Perry's Foundry, Tiger, Ascari, Irregular Miniatures. Truly, there's truly a host of decent companies that make 28 millimeter metal. Uh, Old Glory makes a great 25 millimeter set also. So I don't think you'll have any trouble finding those. Uh, Painting is really wicked easy. I mean, you're looking at khaki, flesh, brown, white, gray, and black. There you go. That's the British right there. Uh, so even if you've never painted, uh, British troops at the end of the 19th century are really easy to paint. You know, it's really hard to really mess those up. For the boar, you could find them if you're you looking for boar proper miniatures. They're out there. But personally, I just grab raggedy confederates with slouch hats from Perry's or Foundry or Old Glory, paint them up and you're good. The paints, you're looking at different shades of brown. Flesh, white, gray, and black. I mean, it really isn't that, you know, the Boer Wars It's really not that complicated when you're trying to build your armies. Now, all these companies also have the cavalry and the artillery contingents necessary to build up both sides for the Second Boer War. And finally, the terrain table. This is exactly what I think you should do. Get a tan bed sheet, throw a bunch of bunched up towels underneath it for hills, and throw some cheap trees on there. And there you go. That's your That's your board right there. It's, it's really that easy. The best way to play this, like I said, in my opinion, is you're talking skirmish level and don't spend a ton of money until you really get the fever. Once you get the fever for the flavor of a war game, then that's when you're really going to dig into your pocketbook, uh, your wallet, or whatever you got going on, you know, stealing it from your brother. However you get your money to get the miniatures, you're going to have the fever. All right. Jan, I hope this has helped you out. And thank you again for the compliment and the email. I do appreciate it. Now, coming up, that movie review I promised you, it's here.
1: This is Shot and Shield. It's going to hurt you a lot more than
4: it will me, I'm happy to
1: say. A podcast dedicated to colonial and 19th century war gaming.
5: Discipline makes the strength of armies.
1: Shot and Shield.
3: Hi. I'm famous podcaster and influencer, Sir Scott. And when I was young, my analyst said that I had an overactive imagination. I mean, he was a financial analyst, but he was still right, okay? Now, as a kid, I would always see my GI Joes capture tigers, excavate treasures, or elude dangerous snakes. And I would lose myself in Adventures of Tarzan in Flash Gordon and Conan. Old time radio always had that magic that could transport you to different times and transport you to different worlds. And now I offer you a podcast filled exclusively with adventures in audio. Search and subscribe to Vintage Radio Adventures found on most podcast apps. That's Vintage Radio Adventures.
1: This is Shot and Shield. You don't think I too dream of peace? You don't think I, too, yearn to end this damn dirty job we
2: call soldiering? Frankly, no. Up
0: to mighty London came an Irishman one day. ¶ As the streets are paved with gold, sure everyone was gay, Singing songs of Piccadilly, Strand and Leicester Square ¶¶¶ Till Paddy got excited, then he shouted, told them there ¶¶¶ It's a long way to Tipperary ¶¶¶ It's a long way to go ¶¶¶ It's a long way to Tipperary ¶¶ the sweetest girl I know. Goodbye, Piccadilly. Farewell, Leicester Square. It's a long, long way to Tipperary, but my heart rises. there. To so the well, I know it's just a so name on me.
3: Making all kinds of noise. I don't know if you hear it through the microphone. No? Okay. (laughs) Anyway, thank you for continuing to listen to the Shot and Shield Supercast. Uh, So before I dig in on uh, King of the Kyber Rifles, I'd like to talk about the YouTube channel for just a second. As I've said in several episodes, I've been revamping the YouTube channel uh, to be your kind of like a one-stop for all things 19th century, you know, entertainment-wise, video-wise. So I got movies on there. I got some clips on there and got some documentaries. So it's something that uh, I'd like you to check out. When you have a chance, please subscribe, like, and hit that bell deal to be notified when I've added uh, more video content. I I have a playlist called uh, Battle Clips, And on there, which is just short videos uh, for movies, TV shows, documentaries, or whatever that I've added for, like, the flavor. And uh, so there's some foreign stuff in there, some foreign films or foreign clips, I should say, that uh, where you can see uniforms and uh, artillery and stuff like that. Anyway, anything that helps you set the flavor for uh, the gaming that you have going on. I'll be adding uh, some more stuff here uh, ASAP as soon as possible. One other thing, there's also a playlist called Shot and Shield Presents, and these are the movies that I've either reviewed or will be reviewing uh, in the future. I'm pretty happy with the selection. Uh, Right now, I have uh, Santa Fe Trail, Royal Flash, The Undefeated, Triple E Action, Under Two Flags, Zulu, Northwest Frontier, March or Die, Lion of the Desert, and this episode's movie highlight, King of the Kyber Rifles. (laughs) Shot and Shield. What are you looking at? It's time for Shot and Shield Movie Review. Right. In this episode's movie review, I take a look at the 1953 classic King of the Khyber Rifles, it's a story of a half-caste British officer in 19th century India who faces prejudices uh, from his fellow officers and the locals while trying to help put down a rebellion led by a ruler who he knows from his childhood. King of the Khyber Rifles stars the amazing Tyrone Power as Captain King, Michael Rennie as General Maitland, Terry Moore as Susan Maitland, and Guy Rolfe as Karim Khan. All right, so first off, any movie that has Tyrone power in it is awesome. Check it out. The Black Swan, pirate movie. Blood and Sand, Bullfighter movie. The Mark of Zorro, Zorro movie. The Prince of Foxes, The Black Rose, Captain from Castile, The Razor's Edge, Sun Also Rises, Pony Soldier, Suez. Well, Northern Frontier, Rawhide, Diplomatic Courier, Tyrone Power is just plain awesome. Doesn't get enough props, I can tell you right now, because during that time, everybody's thinking Errol Flynn, they're thinking uh, Ronald Coleman, but no, Tyrone Power is the best. Now, let me stop being a fanboy for a second, and let's get back to the movie. We're introduced to Captain King when his column is attacked and the prejudices start to come to the surface. You seem to have had a spot of trouble, Captain
6: King. Huh? Lieutenant Heath, the Bashar Garrison. Oh, Mr. Heath. I've come to escort you in, sir.
4: I'm
6: certainly glad you arrived when you did, Mr. Heath. Yes, so am I. General Maitland will be looking for those supplies. Tiara! Corporal, sir? bring the Afridi here. Yes,
5: sir. You took a prisoner, sir? No, he came down out of the hills and warned us of the attack
6: you had beginner's luck if you don't mind my saying so sir he might have been leading you into an ambush instead of out of one sort of thing you learn to expect from the ladies when you've been here for a while what about the natives in British uniform, Mr. Heath? Uh, they're just better dressed, sir. Between ourselves, a native doesn't change color when he joins up. They're all brothers under the skin. I'll try to remember that, Mr. Heath. Excuse me, sir.
3: Now, overall, this movie is an adventure, but it's also a love story. And it's hard to ignore the love story portion of this movie because it's used to push the storyline that everyone is prejudicial towards Captain King, except for Susan, the General's daughter, and the General himself.
6: Oh, well, go on. Don't keep me dangling. What happened?
7: Well, there we were surrounded by a large crowd of unfriendly faces. A wild-eyed mullah, promising death to every infidel. Birds coming down out of the sky. They're telling what might have happened if Captain King hadn't come along. King? Yes, it was amazing, really. The way he talked to them, the way they listened. (laughs) I shouldn't wonder. Why do you say that, Geoffrey? Well, he's one of them. A native? Near
6: enough, he's a Chi Chi. Born right here in Bershab. Mother was a Muslim.
7: I knew there was something different about him.
6: I don't blame you for being surprised. Fellow took me in until I saw the family portrait. And not a bad look, I, my dad. Good evening.
7: Good evening, Father. Good evening,
6: sir. Do I have to die of first, Susan?
7: Of course not,
5: Father. I understand you moved out of your bungalow today, Mr. Heath. Uh, yes, I did. Not comfortable? No, sir. You haven't complained about your quarters during the past year?
6: Until today, I had no cause for complaint, if you know what I mean, sir. Yes, I believe I do. Didn't think you'd mind, sir. It so happens, Mr. Heath, I do mind.
5: In future, you'll remember that on this garrison, whites, half-caste, and natives are all British soldiers and will be treated as such.
3: Uh, Tyrone Power plays this role perfectly. He has to be the proper British officer keep a stiff upper lip while his fellow officers resent him because he's half-Indian and the locals resent him because he's half-white. Continuing on, Captain King knows what the garrison is up against, but he has a plan. Yes,
5: King? What is it? You remember what Ahmed said? That the Hill Tribes would fight together only under Kuram Khan. Well? Well, I was thinking, sir, that there might not be an uprising at all if if Kuram Khan were dead. That's possible. He happens to be very much alive. He's mortal, sir. If a man could get close enough, a man with special qualifications. You realize that even if you were successful, which I doubt, you'd never leave Jatray alive. I'm aware of that possibility, sir.
3: So unfortunately for Captain King, he hesitates killing Kuram Khan and is caught and his plan fails.
5: My congratulations, sir took me in completely. The knife will no longer be of use to you. There was a moment when you could have used it and didn't. If I hadn't awakened, would you have killed me? Yes. But for a split second, the past held you back. That is the difference, Ellen, between a great man and just a man. split second. How many men could have ruled the world but for that split second when they hesitated and destiny passed them by? What's
0: up? Delta munda
5: Like my father, Alan, you're a victim of your conscience. For many like That is why I cannot fail. Nor a bandini but... Rock it up.
3: Now, the life of Captain King is spared. Then he's sent back to the garrison. He makes his report to the general. General, not happy with him, arrests him.
5: You say... Lieutenant Baird, Privates Jenkins, Sibley, and Burnett were killed right in front of you. Yes, sir. They glanced. I see. And you'd like me to understand that your disappearance from the garrison was connected with your offer to kill Kuram Khan? Yes, sir, it was. Well, he's still alive, sir. I had an opportunity to kill him, but I have no explanations. How did you manage to escape from Jatra, Captain King? I didn't escape, sir. Kuram Khan gave me safe escort. In return for his life? Yes, sir. Have you anything further to say? There was a council of tribal leaders when I was in Jatra, sir. Not only the Afridi that Ahmed told us about, but the wazir and Bungish as well. They're about ready to join forces, sir. It would mean a total of roughly 5,000 men. Led by the man whose life you spared. There's something else, sir. Kuram Khan says that the Enfields will never be used against him. He was mistaken. The Khyber Rifles have been using them ever since the day they arrived. Pretty excellent weapon, I might Mr. Heath. Conduct Captain King to his quarters under close arrest.
3: Obviously, Karim Khan does not expect the Enfield rifles will be used uh, on him because the natives have been led to believe that the cartridges are made of animal fat. The general gets a report that the uprising in India started, so Captain King is reinstated to lead the Khyber Rifles. Once in attack position, the Khyber Rifles refuse to use their rifles. But Captain King is so respected, well
4: seemed that every rifle is loaded and primed. Nay, sir. Are all the rifles loaded? Nay, sir. We have given it much thought. We have looked into ourselves and talked. We would like to follow you, sir. But what you believe to be the truth about the cartridges could be a lie. Order them to load. Order them to take up their rifles and load to die at your feet than to greet our love with other soul. then order them to retreat nay Captain Saab we will not use the rifles but we have blades of steel and with this we will follow you to the death
3: just say that for me the that's the best part of the movie hands down the best part of the movie captain king is standing there they're not going to load the rifles but they pull out the knives these big monster Gurkha knives which are cool to begin with and now it's on so the kyber rifles climb the mountains and descend on karim khan's camp lots of hand-to-hand ensue captain king drops through the roof of karim khan's tent and they fight karim khan is killed And in the end, Tyrone Power gets the girl, gets the respect of everyone, and the prejudices he faces are now gone. I actually saw a lot of scenario potential in this movie. Number one, perhaps doing a scenario that's all melee based with limited to no gunfire. That's cool. Number two, there are some real good color schemes that you can get from Karam Khan's forces. When you take a look at all the different uniforms they have going on in uh, this movie, not just uh, on the British side. But also, The Natives, it's excellent. There's a lot of color combinations that uh, I know that I've stole. The movie itself is more of an inspiration than anything else for the Wargamer, which is why I give it four pith helmets out of five. The acting and the action are top-notch. And, I mean, really? Tyrone Power. That's it. I, I actually didn't say that. It said four Tyrone Powers out of five. Now, if you've never seen King of the Kyber Rifles, you can do that right now on the Shot and Shield YouTube page. Watch it for free under the Shot and Shield Presents watch list. Also, while you're there, remember please like, subscribe, hit that little bell thing so every time I add something new to the YouTube, it goes ding-ling-ling, okay? <laughs> ding-ling-ling. That's pretty funny. All right, so look, next up a product review of the new Ottoman line from Perry Miniatures on Shot and Shield. Mm-hmm.
0: waiting for. Come on, come on. Shot and Shield, your colonial wargaming podcast. The 19th century ended amid the glories of the Victorian era. Shot and Shield, a
3: podcast dedicated to wargaming the colonial
0: era. In those aristocratic Victorian days, when, as the Israelis said, the world was for the few and for the very few.
3: The views expressed during Shot and Shield are the hosts, and only meant to be taken seriously if you feel it's necessary. Good luck against those elephants. And now, Shot and Shield. Thank you once again for joining me for this episode of Shot and Shield. Remember, if you have any questions or critique or suggestion, please email me at shotandshield at gmail.com. Now, I'd like to uh, go over the new Ottoman army 1790 to 1815 line from Perry Miniatures. Now you can find uh, this line under the Metal Ranges Napoleonic Group on their site, perry-miniatures.com. This set of miniatures just appeared within the last few months of my recording of this particular episode. The line is called Ottoman Army 1790 to 1815, and it contains 12 separate sets. Each set has the normal six figures. And as I said, you got 12 of these sets uh, going on. The first six sets are the Nizam I uh, sadid infantry with Bustanji's hat. That's the hat that has like the weird tongue hanging off the top of it. You got uh, infantry command advancing. You got infantry marching. You got command standing. You got infantry firing line. Another infantry command advancing with the light bustanji's hat. That's the one that doesn't have the big tongue hanging off. And then the uh, infantry attacking with the light bustanji's hat. Then after that, it breaks it down a little bit more. You got two Albanian units, a moot command with British equipment advancing, and a moot with the British equipment marching. That's the infantry set. The next two are the Soluk Peak Guard Command Standing and the Guardsmen Standing Support Arms. The last two are the Nizam Asadid Anatolian Nefer Infantry Command with the caps. They're marching and the same with the infantry, the caps, and they're marching as well. The command groups are all fitted with a commander, a musician, a flag bearer, and three troops. Each of these sets are, of course, historically accurate, and the sculpts are on the spot. And the pictures provided on the site are expertly painted. I mean, it's it's Alan and Michael Perry, and these guys are amazing. So, you know, no fear there, right? Also, even though these are meant to be used in the Napoleonic campaigns, but I feel that you could use these for Greek revolution, Early 19th century prior to Crimea against either the Russians or the Persians. And yes, uh, don't tell my wife, but I will certainly be purchasing these figures in the future. Okay. My only real issue is that 80% of these figures are just kind of standing there at attention or they're marching. So they do come across a little stiff. I personally like the skirmish type poses. I guess they're doing quick time or double time or they're they're running or they're getting ready to, to charge or something, you know, some sort of more action going on. However, the sculpts are so good, you don't feel ripped off because the poses are limited. And I'm hoping that Alan and Michael are planning to expand that line because it really, just what they have, those 12 uh, sets right there, are just so nice. So if you're doing any wargaming between 1790 and 1850, I'm all in with this line. And as I said, you know, once I get a chance, I finish up some of the projects I have going on. This is definitely going in the old collection because this against my Russians. Are you kidding me? Right. This against my Persians. Are you kidding me? Like I said, I'm all in on this. All right. So coming up, still ahead on the June edition of the Shot and Shield Supercast, my old time radio archaeological discovery featuring Douglas Fairbanks Jr. The Fighting O'Flyns is next.
1: This is Shot and Shield. Shield. Oh, damn. Shot and
3: Shield is on social media. There's the Twitter page, at Shot and Shield. Please follow. There's a Facebook group, the Shot and Shield Podcast Wargaming Group. It's open to all. Please join and post some of your amazing games, paint jobs, and creations. Finally, the email, shotandshield.com. At gmail.com. Email me if you have a question or a thought or even a complaint that you'd like read and answered on the podcast. Shot and Shield is on social media.
1: This is Shot and Shield. Tally ho, tip, tip, come, Bernard's your uncle.
3: It is time for my archaeological discovery from The Great Audio Dig. Now, normally, I'd be presenting you the best representation of the 19th century. However, in this Shot and Shield episode, I found something really cool, and I wanted to share it with you. It's the, it's the Fighting O'Flyns, starring Douglas Fairbanks Jr. It's set in Ireland during the first part of the Napoleon's rise to control in France. So it's sort of like on the cusp. It's like 1785, 1790, 1795. So it's not really technically 19th century, but you get my drift. It's still uh, a rip-roaring adventure. From 1950 in the Screen Directors Playhouse, I give you the fighting O'Flynns.
8: RCA Victor, world leader in radio, first in recorded music, first in television, proudly presents...
2: Screen Directors Playhouse, star Douglas Fairbanks Jr., Production, The Fighting O'Flynn, director, Arthur Pearson.
8: The Hollywood screen directors present transcribed to play on high adventure. The motion picture story, The Fighting O'Flynn, starring Douglas Fairbanks in his original role of The O'Flynn, with Meg Randall as Lady Benedetta. Ireland, 1797, was a hotbed of plot and counterplot, intrigue and violence. Napoleon Bonaparte's wars seemed far away, but his agents in Ireland were setting the stage for further conquests.
9: I, O'Flynn of O'Flynn, was a soldier of fortune returning to the small green land of Ireland. There was one other passenger in the coach posting for Dublin that fine moonlit night, a lady. English, lovely, and most interestingly aloof. Your pardon, milady, but what did you say your name was?
7: I did not say.
9: <laughs> she did not say, she does not say, but who can say that she will not say? <laughs>
0: <laughs> will. No, the spies and agents of Napoleon Bonaparte! Bonaparte! They're after me! Is it so? Faster, driver, faster! We
9: can't outrun horsemen. I've a better plan. Hold fast, milady! <laughs> I opened the door and swung myself up to the coachman's seat. Grasping the reins from him, I swung the coach screechingly in a hard turn that sent the coach sidelong, blocking the road and tearing the wheels from me. Then I jumped to the ground and opened the door for Lady. <laughs> she did not say to step into the road.
7: You madman, now they will cut. Get behind
9: the coach, quickly.
7: Oh, you madman. Driver,
9: collect all those wheel spokes and pile them up beside me. Hurry.
7: They're coming. I'm ready. You can't bite them with those wagon spokes!
9: Shillelis now, my lady. Crude, but work of a lighter shillet. Now, rose with an armful of heavy wagon spokes and let fly. So! 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 There. Another! There. <laughs> All right, stand where you are, who's left a foot. Three pistols, too. Driver, select their three best horses. I'll keep these beggars covered. Well, the moment we were all mounted and still keeping the robbers covered, we wheeled off and raced into the night.
7: We should be starting for Dublin again, O'Flynn.
9: You're even prettier than I dreamed you'd be. What's your name?
7: Benedetta. Benedetta. Benedetta,
9: I like that. I like you.
7: Thank you, O'Flynn. But you mustn't talk so to me. Oh. I'm engaged to be married.
9: Engaged to be... I'll not admit it.
7: Lord Sedsmith in my father's service in Dublin. Oh,
9: it's a whim. I'll win you somehow. Lord Sedgwick or not, I... a lord in your father's service.
7: My father is a viceroy of Ireland.
9: Sure, it's the class I've stumbled onto this time.
7: Those highwaymen knew somehow that I was carrying a certain packet to the viceroy. Packet? Yes, it contains a report of Bonaparte's plan to invade England by way of Ireland.
9: The devil it does. Let me take care of it. Here. Ah, now then.
7: <laughs> and now then, I think we'd better ride for Dublin, O'Flynn.
9: We found, His Excellency, the Viceroy of Ireland, was in the palace garden. Lord Sedgmouth, Benedetta's fiancée. Sedgwick was very handsome, to be sure. But I felt rather wretched in the stomach when he took my Benedetta in his arms and kissed her. And the
2: Viceroy looked very grave as he finished reading the documents we had brought him. Sedgmuth, this is his most serious. Bonaparte's best troublemaker, General Van Drunk, has been sneaked into an old abandoned castle on the coast, Castle Knockmore. Oh, yes, I know the mossy heap of stone. Uh, but do you know Van Dronk? I do, by reputation only. A bitter and moody man, but a great soldier. Nevertheless, I shall myself recruit a force to march on Van Accept it, O'Flynn. But Castle Lockmore will take a regiment of trained troops, not amateurs, to capture it. Then see to it, Sedgmouth. at once. Please. Your Excellency, Benedetta.
7: Goodbye, Philip.
2: Wait, Sedgmouth. Join me on the terrace. I have some suggestions to offer, if I may.
7: O'Flynn, oh, I just want to thank you.
2: Oh, Benedetta, I have so much to say to you.
7: Please, not now. Philip will be looking for
9: me. I have been looking for you ever since my grandfather first rested eyes on my grandmother.
7: Good morning to you, old Flynn of old Flynn.
9: Benedetta, wait!
7: I must join Philip and my father.
9: Oh, come down those steps again, but a moment.
7: No. Uh,
9: But if I I rhyme your rhyme for each step of that stair, (laughs) will you then come down to me?
7: Well, I... Perhaps.
9: Oh. (laughs) Oh, my gift of gab befriend me now. Um... Uh, If if patient you'll be And not mark the time Each step you descend I'll rhyme your rhyme What? (laughs) I've come here to Dublin Sworn to your king (laughs) Admit for a start That that's quite a thing I'll do all such deeds as you may entreat, and all that I'll do I'll lay at your feet. There's no more enchanted a man ever grew than I standing here because I love you. My hand, here it is, your heart put therein, protected from hurt by Flynn of O'Flynn. One
7: more step, Jingler.
9: My rhyme may not be as good as my prayers, but yet you have come to the foot of the stairs.
7: <laughs> A genius, O'Flynn, oh uh, if not uh, exactly immortal.
9: Now, when will you marry me?
7: It's useless. Oh. Your words are very nimble. Very nimble and very Irish.
9: Give me your scarf. Why? For my regimental flag.
7: O'Flynn, oh, you're incorrigible. A kiss, then. No. Yes. O'Flynn, oh, I... I insist. And... I... You shouldn't have done that. Goodbye, O'Flynn.
2: Hendrick, we're in a stew, a foul stew. First I lose your Lady Benedetta on the highway thanks to that Irishman, and now you're in a foul stew. Explain, Sedgmouth. Until Bonaparte invades Ireland, my usefulness to him is in serving the Viceroy. True, Sedgmouth. But now the Viceroy has ordered me to capture Castle Knockmore, to capture Van Drunk, our own man. Then capture Van Drunk. What will Bonaparte say to that? I will arrange with Bonaparte for the surrender of Castle Knockmore to your lordship. You will take his place. Ready to open the gates of Ireland when Bonaparte is ready to invade and to reward you for your... Judicious treason.
9: Down the coast, frowning on the Irish Sea, stood Castle Knockmore, ably and grimly commanded by General Van Drunk, the bloody Saturnine hero of Barta. On a plane west of Knockmore, Sedgman's regiment waited and took no action. I wondered why. I hadn't seen Benedetta for two weeks, and again, I wondered why so thoroughly likable a fellow as I was. Until one evening, as I left a staff meeting at Sedgment's headquarters, a carriage rolled to the entrance with Lady Benedetta about to step out of it. Benedetta!
7: Why, oh, Flynn.
9: Come in the evening, come in the morning, come when expected, come without warning. Please go. Thousands of welcomes you'll find here before you, and the often you come, the more I'll adore you.
7: Why are you here?
9: We're well, a staff meeting with Lord Sedgmouth in which your fiancée made the bold decision to remain rooted to this plane.
7: You're not to criticize Philip, and you're not to see me. Why? The pattern of my life is fixed, and it can't be changed by your lilting Irish phrases. Oh. Your your words and your deeds don't match, O'Flynn.
9: Ah, and what is this now, Midland?
7: You criticize Philip, but can you do any better? No. You're a trifler, a braggart, and an empty kettle.
9: Braggart is it? Empty kettle?
7: Oh, I'm sorry, O'Flynn, but I just... Go,
9: Bernadette, grease your leaden soldier in there whose tailored tactical trousers have their share of lead in them. Before this night is over, I'll take Castle Knockmore for you, alone.
8: Welcome to the Screen Director's Playhouse production of The Fighting O'Flynn, starring Douglas Fairbanks and presented by RCA Victor. Here's a word you'll hear a lot this Sunday for describing the hat and dress combinations the lady wears in the Easter Parade. It's the word ensemble. You'll also hear that word ensemble wherever people are talking about the newest in America's favorite television, the handsome, practical RCA Victor teleensemble. The Tel Ensemble is Deluxe 12 and inch RCA Victor Eyewitness television in a handsome deep maroon modern metal cabinet. It's called the Tel Ensemble because it's a compact table model television set that nevertheless rests on its own legs of beautiful matching wood. Two more important features are the built-in antenna and the phono jack. Picture quality is tops. Bright, clear, and steady. And the RCA Victor Tel Ensemble is a terrific dollar for dollar value only $229.95 suggested list price, plus small federal tax, of course, and only slightly higher in some locations. Yes, the television set you'll want in your home is RCA Victor's Tel Ensemble. Now back to the Screen Director's Playhouse production of The Fighting O'Flynn, starring Douglas Fairbanks in his original role of The O'Flynn, with Meg Randall as Lady Benedetta.
9: I had no plan, only a purpose without a method, to capture Castle Knockmore from within. A raised drawbridge hung over the moat around the castle, black and monstrous in the thick darkness.
2: Out!
9: Who's there? Captain O'Flynn of His Majesty's Dragoons! Deserting! I have news for General Van Drunk!
10: Enemy deserter!
11: Lower the drawbridge! You are coming here under pretense of being a deserter has a faint glimmer of imagination. A spark of light in the darkness of my boredom. Thank you, General. The military information you bring is worthless. It turns out you are a stupid, torpid, uninspired, backward, untutored, charmless, harmless, and in every other detail as much a lurching oaf as any man.
9: Uh, You uh, don't admire mankind, eh? Can
11: you at least play chess?
9: Chess? Is it chess, you're saying? (laughs) Well... In County Wicklow, I am esteemed and remembered as the man who was a lad of three, conquered... Sit every... down. Uh, yes, mon general.
11: Never mind the mon general. I'm not French. Oh. oh. I am simply von drunk supremely bored. You are unarmed. Quite. I will place this pistol on the table between us. <laughs> Beat me at chess and it is yours. The... The pistol. I lose, you
9: shoot me. Ah. You lose, I shoot you. Oh. Play. But, um, where is the chessboard? You have a mind, have you not? Well, I, I'm <laughs> I'm fond of thinking so. Then
11: imagine a chessboard and chessmen. Is man so earthbound that he cannot even dream a chessboard? Play. Very well.
9: Um, my pawn to the Queen's fourth square. My
11: pawn to the Queen's fourth square.
9: Mm. Pawn to the Queen's bishop's fourth square. Pawn to the King's fourth. Um, uh, 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 My Queen's pawn uh, captures your pawn. Pawn to the Queen's fifth. um, um, uh, Knight to the uh, King's bishop's third square. Pawn to the Queen's bishop's fourth. Uh, Pawn, knight. I can't remember. I can't remember our moves.
11: Ah. Yes. Your pawn to the Queen's fourth, my pawn to the Queen's fourth. Your pawn to the Queen's Bishops fourth, my pawn to the King's fourth. Your Queen's pawn captured, my pawn, my pawn to the Queen's fifth. Your knight to the King's Bishops third, my pawn to the Queen's Bishops fourth. Your move. Oh, yes, thank you.
9: My move. Um, my rook captures
2: uh, your queen. My rook to the bishop's eighth and check. Come in. General Van Drunk. Dispatch from Bonaparte. Move, O'Flynn. O'Flynn? Shh, my queen to the queen's square. General, this man is a spy, an Irishman and a spy. I know.
11: Plays a hard game of chess, too. I resign. You too? Congratulations, O'Flynn. the gun is mine. Don't move.
2: General, you let him get that gun away from you. Do not be dull. He won it fairly. Sedgmouth, read your dispatch from Bonaparte. If I refuse... I'll shoot you and take it from you.
11: <laughs> Better read it, Sedgmoth.
2: Very well. To General Van Drock. After a token resistance, you are to surrender Castle Knockmore to Lord Sedgmouth, who will facilitate the impending landing of French forces in Ireland. Signed. Bonaparte, First Consul. Lord Sedgemuth, I arrest you for high treason. The pistol is not loaded.
11: Wh- what? Pull the trigger. Go ahead. The devil!
2: Hmm. Arrest the O'Flynn. O'Flynn, when this castle falls to me tomorrow, you will be found here. As British commander, I will order you shot as a traitor. A pretty business, Sedgmouth. Shot, O'Flynn. Day after tomorrow, at dawn.
7: Inside that window.
9: Benedetta. Oh, Flynn. Benedetta, my darling.
7: Come in. You shouldn't have come back to the palace.
9: Very curious. Surely you know I was shot this dawn, but you don't exclaim that I'm alive and unhurt. Only that I shouldn't have come back
7: here. But they know of the hoax now, and this time they'll surely kill you. Ah, Benedetta, my darling.
9: It's mischief fire firing squads to fire mock volleys. But since you did it for the love of me, I lovingly forgive you.
7: Please, please go.
9: (laughs) I'll not leave until you know I'm not a traitor, Benedetta.
7: Oh, I no longer know who or what to believe. I only know that I want you to live. Oh, I wish that... What do you wish? I wish your arms weren't so tender and strong and the right size to hold an unwilling woman in them.
9: How unwilling is she, really?
7: I have my pride and my honor and a duty to the man I've promised to marry.
9: So be it. I've wooed you faithful and I've wooed you true, and no has always been your answer. But now I'm going to see this through before your eyes.
7: What are you doing?
9: Holding this bit of blank writing paper from your desk, my lady.
7: Oh, Flynn, you can still go through the window. No. Please.
9: Come in.
2: Benedetta, my dear. Oh, Flynn. My dear Sedgman. Benedetta. Ah, this time you will not escape death, Irishman. What have you to say for yourself? First of
9: all, sir, it's not me that's the traitor, but our stylish friend here, Lord Sedgmoth. Uh, impertinence, absurdity. He's under orders from Bonaparte to surrender Knockmore to the Frenchies, and I can prove it.
2: These are serious charges, O'Flynn. Ridiculous charges. Are
9: they? Then here. Here's the letter, Your Excellency, from Bonaparte to Sedgmouth, which I had the luck to filch from Sedgmoth's pocket. Uh, how, how did you... Aye, your hand goes to your breast pocket, Sedgemuth? But this paper is blank. That one, yes. But not the one in his lordship's pocket,
2: I'll warrant. Whatever this Irish hothead tells you, Your Excellency, is... Then show him the letter in your pocket. Show him or be called the guilty man if you do not.
7: Show him the letter, Philip.
2: Or be declared under arrest. Under arrest? (laughs) If you capture me, that is... Stop him! Yes, Your Excellency, stop him! Good! Castle (laughs) Knockmore!
9: He's gone to signal the French ship? (laughs) drawbridge was up and under heavy guard when I again arrived at the gloomy castle. I saw a torch flickering high on the seaward battlement, the rocket platform. Wearily, my heart in my throat, I started up the thick ivy, clothing the sheer walls of Knockmore Bastion. Slowly, ever so slowly, I lifted my head over the parapet. Sedgemuth torch in hand, peered seaward. A signal rocket at the ready. Two guards, no choice but to be ruthless. I took aim with my one pistol. Reversing <laughs> the empty pistol, I flung it shillelagh fashion at the other guard and caught him squarely on the brow, and he went down as I scrambled over the parapet just in time to meet sedgemuth's naked sword with mine. Traitor. Fool. O'Flynn, more correctly. Of O'Flynn.
2: <laughs> Break.
9: The climb up the ivy
2: tired me. Break, I say. And bleed. Oh! Ha. To say, Irishman. What? A drop. On guard, traitor. I warned you. The
9: climb weary. No, then it kills you. Oh. Oh. <sighs> Enough, my lord? Enough.
0: <laughs> Enough.
9: Over the horizon somewhere were coming Bonaparte's great men of war. But they could wait and wait and wait some more for a signal that would never come. It was nearly dawn when I came back to Dublin Palace and Lady Benedetta waiting for me in the garden at our marble rhyming steps.
7: Oh, Flynn... Is it over,
9: oh, Benedetta, my darling? I have a trifling wound, which in no way influences the size of my arm as for holding a, a willing woman.
7: Flynn of O'Flynn, oh, the woman is unwilling, no longer.
9: <laughs> Benedetta.
10: Dublin Palace, six o'clock. The sun is risen, and all is well. Bye. Bye.
8: This is Jimmy Wallington speaking. You have just heard the last act of The Fighting O'Flynn, and our star, Douglas Fairbanks, Jr., with our guest screen director, Arthur Pearson, will be with us in just a moment. Next Friday, the day belongs to baseball, as another great star brings one of his most amusing performances to the screen director's playhouse. Our story is It Happens Every Spring, and recreating his original role will be Ray Milland with screen director Lloyd Bacon. Now, here again is tonight's star, Douglas Fairbanks. (laughs) Doug, we could really call you the Fighting Fairbanks, couldn't we?
9: You mean O. Fairbanks?
8: Oh, none of your fancy foreign titles,
9: please.
8: <laughs> I'm talking about plain Douglas Fairbanks, star of all those fighting and adventure pictures.
9: Oh, now, wait a minute, my friend. I, I guess I've been mixed up in as many smooth plots as I have in the muss em up and knock down variety. You know, at heart, I'm, I'm really a very peaceful citizen, far more interested in the, in the pursuits of peace than anything else.
8: Like your great work with care, you mean. Oh. And perhaps like puttering around that beautiful home of yours.
9: Oh, that's right, yes.
8: And I suppose you still get a bang out of slapping paint on canvas and maybe doing a little sculpting now and then?
9: Well, now and then.
8: Well, how about music? Oh, well, of course, yes. Well, then, Doug, you're just the man I want to talk to. Do you know about the RCA Victor 45?
9: Mm, A little bit, but not near as much, Jimmy, as I understand you know
8: about it. You know, Doug, I'm practically in love with the 45 system. First of all, it sounds so much better. A musician's dream. Imagine the thrill it gives great musicians like Toscanini and Horowitz to hear their music exactly as they recorded it. Perfectly reproduced on the distortion-free 45. Oh, I should think so. Doug, those RCA Victor 45s are tops in sound. Not only that, they play so much easier. So I understand, but why easier? Well, because with one hand, you can load ten records out of the big center spindle with no fishing around for a small center hole. Oh, that's a help. Then you press one button once, and you have up to 50 minutes of music. Wonderful. These Mm -hmm. new seven-inch records have it. Seven inches? Well, that's no bigger than... Than the uh, average book. Yeah. Which means you can store RCA Victor 45 records on ordinary bookshelves. What's more, the 45 records are non-breakable. Well, how many 45s has RCA Victor released, Jimmy, so Over far? 2,100 titles now, and more are pouring out each week. Good. All the new pop tunes, all the classics. In fact, every new record RCA Victor issues is released on 45. Hmm. But what's even more important to a lot of people is their low cost. 45 RPM record prices begin at 46 cents, plus tax. Automatic 45 changes start as low as $1,295. Oh, that's cheap enough. Doug, what you should do, and that goes for everybody listening in is to visit your RCA Victor dealer tomorrow and see how easy it is to make the swing to 45 and enjoy the benefits of the record system of the future.
9: Ladies and gentlemen, there's a kind of delicate interrelationship between a screen director and a film story. For instance, take The Fighting O'Flynn. The director made a motion picture out of the story, and the story <laughs> made an Irishman out of the director. This last took some doing in view of the fact that he was born in Norway. Now I'd like you to meet him, an accomplished stage and screen director, actor and writer, and my director in The Fighting O'Flynn, Arthur Pearson. Thank you, Doug. But I i think we all came out of the O'Flynn with a touch of shillating in our hearts. And better men we are for it, too. But, Doug, I hear you've deserted the uh, Emerald Isle for Central Europe in your next picture, State Secret. That's right, Arthur. State Secret is out of Ireland and into modern dress for an exciting tale of totalitarianism. But for all that, we're still a couple of celluloid sons of Dublin. And here's my thanks for a beautiful job of directing in The Fighting O'Flynn. You made it easy for the actors to tell the story, but... I suppose that's because you were an actor and writer yourself.
2: Well, I tried. As a matter of fact, Doug, I used to write for the radio, a program called The Lincoln Highway. I remember. Any
9: other shows, Arthur? Well, once in a while, I'd write one of those interviews where the actor talks to somebody after the drama. Oh, yes, I've heard of those. You know, the ones that always ends with the people saying, um, good night? Good night. Good night, Doug. Good night, Arthur. (laughs) Good night, everyone.
8: And good night to you, Douglas Fairbanks and Arthur Pearson. Remember next Friday, Ray Milland in It Happens Every Spring with screen director Lloyd Bacon, brought to you by RCA Victor, world leader in radio, first in recorded music, first in television. The Fighting O'Flynn was presented through the courtesy of the Fairbanks Company of Universal International Studios, now releasing One Way Street, starring James Mason, Marta Torrin, and Dan Duryea. Meg Randall can now be seen with Marjorie Maine and Percy Kilbride in Ma and Pa Kettle Go to Town, a Universal International picture. Included in tonight's cast were Ramsey Hill, Dan O'Herlihy, Raymond Burr, Frank Gerstle, Paul Frees, and Frank Barkley. The Fighting O'Flynn was adapted for radio by Milton Geiger. And original music was composed and conducted by Robert Armbruster. The Screen Director's Playhouse is produced by Howard Wiley, with dramatic direction by Bill Karn. Portions of the program were transcribed.
3: From 1950 in the Screen Director's Playhouse, I gave you The Fighting O'Flynn's, starring Douglas Fairbanks Jr., along with Paul Frees. In ramsey hill just an excellent adventure however alas thus ends another shot and shield supercast but before i get going i would like to remind you that i'm not a professional historian uh i'm a total amateur history buff and i have a liberal arts degree uh, with a huge emphasis on history and philosophy so if you hear something that i got wrong feel free to call me out i'm good correct me and or, or you know what hey try emailing me shotandshield at gmail.com tell me what i got wrong and i'll correct myself on the supercast but if you think I don't have the balls to read critiques. I hope you're more enlightened now. You've been listening in Fagerstrand, Norway, Pedaline J.M. J.A., Malaysia, and Bishkek, Kyrgyzstan. This has been the Shot and Shield Supercast, a podcast dedicated to 19th century wargaming and history, a podcast meant to be heard while you are painting your miniatures and building your terrain. I am your host, the Grand Duke Scott from the Duchy of Florida. I'm out.
4: Sab. Are all the rifles loaded? Nay, sir. We have given it much thought. We have looked into ourselves and talked. We would like to follow you, sir. But what you believe to be the truth about the cartridges could be a lie. Order them to load. Take up their rifles and load. Better to die at your feet than to greet our love with a soul. Then order them to retreat. Nay, Captain Sab. We will not use the rifles, but we have blades of steel, and with this, we will follow you to the death.
3: This has been a production of the Experience 13 Podcast Network. 13! Your electricity. This has been a production of the Experience 13 Podcast Network. 13! Your electricity.